I was looking forward to this morning. I was uh, I had to stop in here yesterday to avoid having to go to the fireworks with my family. I mean, to um, I went, but I tried dragging out my time here as long as possible. No, but as I, I had to come into the sanctuary for something real quick, and uh, just looking at an empty room and thinking about what will take place on Sunday morning and. And all that, and I just really had this moment of just like, all right, Lord, this is going to be cool. You know, it's just coming together with God's people again. We look forward to this every Sunday. You know, we pray that our freedom in this area continues to last. You know, we know that that isn't a guarantee. Um, And it certainly isn't terribly hopeful when it comes to just the unrestricted opportunity to assemble in worship, right? And we don't say those kinds of things from behind the pulpit to just be alarmist and work up the crowd and all that kind of stuff, but to, to really just kind of think about if you appreciate what you have, then uh, do what you can to protect it and to cherish it while you have it. And so, I don't know, I just had that passing thought yesterday afternoon as I was just looking at you know an empty room just waiting to be filled up with people. And I was thinking, this is pretty cool, we get to do this. And uh, it just seems as though in, in my time here at Faith, uh, which is sneaks up on me how long it's been, and I know a lot of the other uh, guys that have been here on staff for a while, and and Dory and Janet and everything. We still kind of look at each other like, can you believe we get to do this? You know, it's still a lot of fun. I uh, get to play with this band, get to worship with you people, all this sort of thing is just really, really great to be a part of. Uh, I don't know why I'm saying all this, other than it just it struck me as we're in the middle of worship, going, isn't this fun? You know, just really, really awesome. So. Uh, You know, an announcement or a a newspaper ad came some years ago in a London newspaper that said men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful. This is starting to sound like the the ad I answered to come to this church. Honor and recognition in case of success. This, as it appeared in the London newspaper so many years ago, was signed by the noted Arctic explorer Ernest Shackleton. Now, that's not a real intriguing, or it's an intriguing announcement, but it doesn't seem like a real warm, welcoming one. So we can probably assume safely, right, that nobody really responded to this. Why would anybody in their right mind call this guy up or send him a return letter and saying, count me in. But thousands did. They responded to this extremely steep, scary, adventurous call to do something great. Partly perhaps because of the enormity of the call, but also partly perhaps because of who was actually inviting them along on the journey. Some people probably would, would near kill in order for the opportunity to explore with this person if they're in that field. If they've had some experience and they've looked up to him, they said, man, I'll do anything for an opportunity to work with him. Well, if Jesus were to place a similar ad, it would sound something like this. Men and women wanted for a seemingly impossible task of building my church. You'll often be misunderstood, even, the, even by those working with you. You'll face constant attack from an invisible enemy. That sounds promising. You may not see the results of your labor, and your full reward will not come till after all your work is completed. It may cost you your home, 
your ambitions, and even your life. Now, I admit that's a very dramatic calling. And if you're kind of lethargic from yesterday's activities of our July 4th celebration in our country, um, weekends can be, as much as they're supposed to be relaxing, they can be tiring. We come here on a Sunday morning, and it's sometimes nice just to relax, let someone talk at you, and just kind of soak it in, and then ask the Lord to download the parts you need to keep, and then we move on. And that's sort of the regular routine of life. And so I know that's where we're at. And admittedly, I'm often there too. So when I hear an announcement like this or a, a call like this, I, there's a part of me that says, okay, I know that that's a true um, adaptation from the scriptures. I know that the gospel spells out something that uh, intense, that in- adventurous. But at the same time, in 2015, I mean, church just doesn't look that dangerous. You know, following Christ, and we've got it pretty good here. And I know I just started this whole time together by talking about how these freedoms may be going by the wayside. But it still takes a while for us personally to feel the discomfort of all of these changes, right? Right now, for most of us, they're headlines. And so it takes a while for it to land home and for us to go, okay, this is really starting to get uncomfortable. For the most part, we're still making our plans for winter. We're still filling our oil tanks and cutting our wood pile. I'm sorry to talk about winter. That's actually quite cruel. I'm thinking about it. I don't want to think about it any more than you do. But we do plan for the routine. The next thing's always a given for us, right? We're starting to fill out the college applications for our kids or we're starting to think about taking out that second mortgage and all of these things, these future plans, and we're, we're comfortable doing this. There's a, a little bit of trepidation maybe because we're not sure if you know, our jobs are secure or something along those lines, but certainly not as catastrophic as what Jesus would be saying that if you come and build a church with me, And we know he's not just talking about lumber, though Jesus was a carpenter. I guess that would make sense. But he's not just talking about two-by-four structures. He's actually talking about engaging in this process of the church movement being built through the centuries, which has been happening now for the last couple thousand years. So if we read that last sentence, it may cost you your home, your ambitions, and even your life. We're thinking, I know it has for some, but come on. You know, I live in central Maine. It's 2015. It's not going to cost me my life. So Brent, stop being so dramatic about it. Now, there are a few types of people that answer a call, even the most dramatic ones. We already talked about those that might join that Arctic explorer because they're an adventurous spirit, right? They're saying, I I will pay you for the opportunity to go on this journey and do this. And sometimes the church has had those people come and participate for a short time. The ones who are thinking, oh, this is kind of dangerous. It's ground level, something new, something fresh, something exciting. Maybe they think they're personally bought into the process. But really when it's all said and done, when the adrenaline fizzles out, so does their commitment and they're off to the next thing. We've had our share of experiences with those kinds of people here in our church, and I'm sure every church has. We have some people that sign up and they hear that that advertisement and they're like, ooh, that sounds interesting. And you know what? I've really got nothing else going on. I'm in between jobs right now or I just lost my home or I just have whatever. I'm really not attached. I'm free to go. So I might as well do something with my time. So why don't I just go and help and see what happens? We've had lots of those minded, those like-minded people coming and being a part of this church, and I'm sure every church has. 
People that when they get introduced to something, it's interesting enough, but mostly from an occupation standpoint, something to help me pass the time, something to maybe help me join a club. I, I, I don't have any friends anymore. Or it seems like so much work to go out and do the dating scene or it's you know not a safe place for me to be in the bars on the weekends or something like that. And I know that might sound silly, but honestly, people find their way into the church out of loneliness. Now, now, fortunately for us, Jesus uses that, right, and introduces himself, and he cures that loneliness for lots of people. It's almost like whatever he uses to bring them in the doors, he's still going to be what they need, where they need it. But with the, when people don't get introduced to Jesus that way, when they, when they think that maybe I'm just coming to make the social connections and, and have the hangouts and do all that kind of stuff, eventually that kind of passes too, and people are like, all right, this scene's old. I'm moving on. I think historically, the church has been built mostly, obviously, the power of the Holy Spirit, but on the backs of people that have said, okay, I have experienced something I can't comprehend. I have experienced something I could never pay back. I've been given a life and a reward for something I could have never earned. So therefore, I'm going to give myself to the thing that Christ cares about, which is his church. I'm going to help build it. I'm going to serve in it. I'm going to attend it. I'm going to be around his people. And no matter how broken they are, I'm going to make myself available to them. I think that has been the staying power of the church throughout the centuries, is that the people that understand the grace they've been given stick around because they know I would not make it anywhere else. So you see the difference in callings, and perhaps you're thinking of some names or some people, maybe in your family or people you've invited to church, or maybe you yourself fit one of those categories. It's important for us to reflect on that honestly, because if the call is that steep, and it sounds like that much of an adventure, the person putting the ad in the paper better be able to back it up, right? If you're saying, look, I want to be a part of something bigger than me. Christ has forgiven me my sins. I need to pour myself in. And if you're saying that Jesus has called me to this big adventure, please don't let me down because I am primed and ready to jump in and join the battle. So we have to be careful that this isn't just a letdown. And what has happened in so many churches in our nation, unfortunately, is that the call has been something uh, quite watered down, something that is a little bit more like an add-on to life as opposed to being your life from this point forward, right? We've talked about how you can make Jesus a, a part of your life. He can come and enhance certain aspects that are your weaknesses, but you can still own other parts of your existence or other parts of your heart that you've already figured out. And, and so we've turned this, this adventure into a religious duty, which we say, I'm going to show up and draw from it what I think I need in order to stay sustained. And then the minute it starts getting into those other meddlesome areas, I'll just pass it off. I'll move on. So where are we going with all of this? Well, I'm taking you back to 1 Timothy 3. I know, big shocker, right? But in my defense, it takes a while to get through a passage of Scripture when you've only got a few times behind the pulpit to get through it. So please bear with me. This has, I think, been about, I don't know, 15 or 16 messages. So it's been a, you know, three or four months worth of, of time in this particular passage. And so as we go through this, the reason why we set it up the way we did with this talk of adventure is because the things in Timothy's list that he received from Paul are things that if we really apply them in 2015 in central Maine are quite risky. 
And it's important for us not to take them lightly, not to water them down, not to say, okay, I'm going to sprinkle a little religion in my life. So if, if Pastor Brent's saying on occasion I should be perhaps um, patient or I should have a balanced life or if the scripture is telling me that I should be more hospitable to people, I'm going to try an ounce of that here and there and see if I gain a little bit more in life from that. Instead, what this is is a call to an adventure that if you really dive into it, it's going to set you up to be a leader in, in a, a crazy changing environment that we are receiving even here in America. And I don't want you to think about it from a standpoint of saying, well, then therefore I'll have people look to me and they'll follow my lead and I'll be the man or I'll be the woman or something. It really isn't about us at all. It's the plan that was put in place from the moment that Jesus instituted the church. He said it needs leadership, it needs structure, it needs to be heading in a direction, and it all still belongs to God. So if we're doing it his way, we adhere to the advertisement in the newspaper. If we're going to answer the call, we better be answering the right one. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 3 say it's a, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And just recently we talked about not addicted to wine or, here's my favorite word of the day, pugnacious. Own it. You're going to love it. Pugnacious but gentle, peaceable. If you just look at some of those words, if you're not sure what some of these words mean, uh, we have spent the time going through them, breaking them down sermon after sermon. You can get those on our website. Uh, I think there's a, a button right on our homepage that says sermons, and you can start listening to those files there and go back. And we tried to include those key words in all of the sermon titles where possible to make sure that you're drawing a, a connection to them. Because some of these words aren't our more modern English usage for uh, these phrases and these meanings that the Scripture has been presenting to us. But we understood that as we're walking through this, God wants a leader who is balanced, who isn't chasing one extreme to the next, not flawless. Jesus knew when the church would be established that he would be building the church with imperfect people. And so what he wants to do is to minimize the pendulum swing of extremes. The person who's just hot under the collar over here or way too passive over here like we're going to be talking about. Or the person who uh, just takes everything at face value uh, and therefore is sucker punched by everything. Or the person who's a total skeptic about everything and won't believe a thing that they can't understand. So God is trying to get this leader to be a balanced individual that, that yeah, the pendulum still swings because we're human, but just not quite as wide. And there's course corrections to be made through the whole, the whole uh, process of leading God's people. Now, maybe you're familiar with the scene in movies that, uh, of course you are. They've been in movies since they were black and white. You know the bar scenes, the fights? You know where they go on for 10 minutes, and there's usually, in the old uh, ones, there was all this... Um, it sounds like harpsichord or piano kind of music and stuff going on. You know, it's like, you know, the big dramatic fist pullbacks, right? We got some of those going on. Someone's sliding down the bar and knocking all the glasses off. And you know, someone's going through the front window at some point, right? You would think if you were opening a bar, you'd look at that front wall and say, okay, we're going to be one of those dark lit bars. We don't want, because that window is just a target. 
who's getting thrown through there on Friday night, right? But we know the scene, you know, somebody uh, has had too much to drink or some jerk's hitting on another guy's girl or something along those lines. And then the fists start flying and the scene goes on forever. And if we're being honest, we kind of like watching the fights that we're not necessarily in the middle of. You know, people pay lots of money on pay-per-view to see a couple of boxers, uh, you know, go at it and stuff, right? There's, There's an interest to watch a fight. Maybe in your growing up time, as soon as you heard the words, fight, 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 they're just, you saw an instant circle. And it always seems like somebody that you know, if you're in a circle of people or you brought, you know, you're at a family function or something like that, you know, the first person who's had a little too much to drink, you know who that first person is going to be. It's going to get a little louder than everybody else. Their chip on their shoulder is going to start to expose and people are starting to get uncomfortable and thinking it's going down. We know it's going to, it always happens. But if we're being honest, we, we kind of like sometimes to see what's about to happen. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned we ended up at the fireworks last night, much against my protest. But I didn't work. I'm quite outnumbered in my family. So, um, But, you know, so we were walking around a little bit, and I was just, I'm thinking, of course, I, I know I'm preaching this sermon the next day. And so I'm on high alert for that look in somebody's eye that's just kind of, you know how people walk through crowds and they're like, just look at me wrong, I dare you. And maybe I was provoking it because I'm looking for that kind of look, but man, they were everywhere. And you just knew that with, with alcohol flowing and all that kind of stuff, and the pe- for some people the party started at 11 a.m. and all this kind of stuff, you knew it was going down at some, uh, at some point in time. We were pulling out of the parking lot that we were situated in, pretty much removed from all of that crowd business and stuff, and we were waiting to to come out, and uh, this isn't going anywhere where it turns into a great fight. I'm sorry to to be anticlimactic. See, but you wanted to hear one, didn't you? You're proving my point. You were like, I hope this turns into someone's bleeding in the street. That's all I want to know. Sickos. So... Uh, we're waiting to pull out. And you know how it is in, in that whole thing where people aren't sure who can go. And of course, pedestrians have the right away and all that sort of stuff. And so you're waiting, you're waiting and you're waiting. And we're watching this, this green light business right at the bridge going, okay, if nobody's walking, of course, when your light is red, nobody cuts, cuts across the street. Turn, as soon as it turns green, traffic everywhere, right? And so I'm sitting there kind of going, okay, I'm next. I don't want to be the guy getting honked at, but I don't want to run over anybody. So I'm just going to wait and be patient, but watch all this. And at the same time, I was going, somebody's coming. I said, I know. I got it. I'm waiting. And then as soon as we're getting ready to go, the light turns green, and there's somebody walking across diagonally, right? And these people are kind of taking their sweet time. And inside, you know, because outwardly I'm, I'm a Christian, and inside, <laughs> inside I'm thinking differently and stuff, and... And in my wife's van, uh, you know, the horn is so, so touchy. So I'm like, I got to keep my hands away from that because I could just see. Well, all of this isn't because I I did something to provoke a fight. I'm sorry. I know you wanted to see my name in the paper this morning. But what ended up happening was the first thought that came to my mind. It's exactly what we're talking about. They're walking across and you hear some guy yelling from from way off to the side. He's like, hey. And what do everybody, including people right in the middle of traffic do? They went. Because it sounded like intimidating. It sounded like, hey, you, where do you think you're going kind of thing. And everybody, you know, part of you is like, are they yelling at me? But also you could tell people like, is it going down? Is this about to happen? You know, we almost survived the whole night now that it's over. There is an interest. 
might I say, you know, uh, somewhat of a bloodthirst at times where we're thinking there could be an opportunity to watch people scrape it up. And, and not so much fists and not so much, you know, pounding each other. But let's be honest. I mean, reality TV shows have made a killing of money off of people wanting to peek in on other people's drama and fights and tensions and all of these things. And from what we understand, all these producers are off at the side trying to pick fights with people. You need to be more like this. And can you believe what she said about you? And so it, it, it turns everything into kind of this Jerry Springer environment and stuff. And there's this strange human thing that as long as the chair isn't being thrown at me, as long as I'm not being slung across the bar, uh, the counter, uh, then I kind of want to see how this is going to turn out. wonder who's going to win. And yet the scriptures are telling us that you are not to pick someone who, uh, for leadership of your church, yes, this is anchored in the scripture still, I'll get back there, someone who is not addicted to wine or pugnacious. And pugnacious in the New American Standard uh, Bible is really seen as the opposite of how it follows. It says, but gentle or peaceable. Pugnacious is somebody who is contentious, someone who is looking for a fight. So I want you to incorporate this word in your modern day conversations now. If you feel like you're about ready to get contentious, look, I'm not trying to be pugnacious here, but just saying. People will be like, what? You drop some Bible knowledge on them. You see how this works? Pugnacious. Remember it, own it. You're going to love it. Other English translations have said, that someone who is pugnacious is someone who is not a striker or a brawler in the King James Version. That gives you that physical, um, uh, actual flesh-on-flesh contact warning. Don't pick the guy who's laying fists on other people. Someone who's a brawler. But the NIV or the English Standard Version are, are, are still talking about that, but it broadens the application a little bit, and I think all of these usages are accurate based on the original language. The NIV says, don't pick someone who is violent or quarrelsome. Now our, our horizon opens up a little bit and we go, okay, it's not just someone who gets in fist-to-fist scrape-ups. Because hopefully most of us would feel like, okay, I got that part down. You're not showing up with your black eyes and all that kind of stuff. You know, boy, did I really need church today. Woo, it was last night a doozy, you know, and you heard the piano sliding people down the bar and stuff. Hopefully, and all people are welcome here, but hopefully that hasn't been part of your weekend existence. So when we come across the, uh, the, the language in the NIV or the English Standard Version, it also says don't find someone who is quarrelsome. Now we're starting to scratch our head a little bit and say, okay, is it a little deeper than the way I've been applying it? I, I still have yet, and I'm not taking offers, by the way, but I still have yet to know what it's like to be punched. You know, I'm not taking offers. <laughs> Honestly, and, and there's a part of my manhood that's kind of a little sheepish to admit this, I don't know what it's like to land a punch either. Uh, I have shared with you some of my uh, childhood uh, constitution when it came to fights and all that stuff, but I mean, I was... I mean, I was as big as my pinky is now, all growing up. I did everything clever to avoid a fight. And uh, it turned me into, uh, 
sort of the, the, the diplomat that I am today probably to kind of, are you, are you sure we're going to look at it this way? Because I think we could approach this from another angle. And the bullies just like, they don't know what to do with you right now, you know. Or, or I always had the bigger friend with me who just, you know, wasn't necessarily the fighter, but just had to look at him and say, leave Brent alone. And be like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm not proud to admit this, but it's just the way it is. So I, I would be one of those people that would see if I just read the King James and saw that it's not someone who's a brawler, I'd be like, okay, I'm fit for leadership. I'm cool because I've never landed a punch or had one landed on me. Uh, that isn't a sufficient application to what God is going for here when he's listing the qualifications for leadership. All of these uh, modern usages or these English usages are bringing home the same underlying attitude is that do not pick someone to lead in your assembly who goes around looking for a fight. And if we're being clear on this, people go around looking for arguments in all areas of life, including those of us that are faithful to God's house, that read his word, that perhaps evangelize or give out the good news of the gospel to other people. We're not exempt just because we've become a Christian. We're not exempt just because we've studied our Bible or we spend time in prayer. Oftentimes, the same underlying attitude that a fighter would have that Paul is warning against also lives within us as well. And we need to be very careful to maintain that. You know, even uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, as he was training his preaching students, would say he was trying to warn them of, look, the smarter you get, the more comfortable you get in the word, the, the better handle you get on how to use the word of God and theology and things. You've got to be careful not to use it to pick fights. He says, he says, don't go around the world with your fist doubled up for fighting, carrying a theological revolver in the leg of your trousers. Because this happens just as much in the church circle as it does in the bar. It's just that the fights look a little different. And perhaps the glasses aren't smashed. Perhaps people don't go flying through the front window of the church. Hopefully. But the attitude and the underlying heart issue might be the same. And it's interesting to me that, that uh, Paul is telling Timothy, right in the same sentence, don't find people that are addicted to wine and fighters. It's like, do you think there's a correlation between the two? And of course we know there is. Because the more that uh, something like alcohol or some kind of chemical substance is introduced, our inhibitions go down, and the person that we are on the inside is the one that eventually comes out. But what do we always say? Not, maybe not we. I'm not pointing any fingers, but what does the person who loses control and has that drunken rage or that argument or says those things or something, what do they say the next day? That wasn't me. That was the alcohol talking. But instead, what's happened with the introduced substance is it's broken down those bars that usually go over people's tongues. And it said, you know what? Why don't you just finally get it off your chest? Why don't you say what you've been thinking all this time? There's no evaluation of consequences. You're not really engaged in the emotions of the other people, minimizing the impact that this is going to have. And so you let the words fly or you let the fists fly. And then later on you say, it wasn't me, it was that stuff. So I completely agree 
that those substances and stuff have done so much to ruin relationships in our history, but mostly because what it's done is it allowed us to meet the real person behind the alcohol. As tough as that is to swallow. Nice pun. It wasn't in my notes, by the way, so that's, that corniness just came right to me, right? Pretty sad. A contentious person is usually the first one in an argument or a fist fight. And you know that it's about to happen because this person is notoriously un, um, unaware going into a situation, their own potential. They don't just walk in and say, okay, I'm really going to be on my guard here tonight. I know this is a situation that could be tempting me to do this, that, or the other thing, so I'm going to get prepared ahead of time, or I'm going to avoid certain things, or I'm going to make sure I'm not with this crowd or something. The person that's usually the first in the scrape-up is the one who goes in with blinders on, thinking that the, the way the night's going to unfold, or the way this party's going to go, or this wedding reception is just going to happen, is we're just here to have a good time, and they're totally on cruise control until all these other factors Uh, start taking over and paul is telling timothy that the guy who goes about life or the girl even in our application here who goes about life with a short fuse waiting to be lit is not the person for any kind of leadership in your church the moment the situation gets tense or his inhibitions are out of control the whole thing is going to turn into a sideshow and then that starts to hurt the, ch- the church's reputation. And then even the name of Christ is thrown right out that front window along with all the bar stools. The person who is the right candidate for leadership avoids these kinds of situations as much as humanly possible. Remember what we said about the pendulum. This won't be a perfect walk all the time. There will be times you'll walk away something going, Ugh, I think I got dragged into that a little too deep, or I think I, I said a few things that I'm going to have to walk back, or I think I'm going to have to go and apologize and seek forgiveness. Those things happen. I can attest to you that your leadership here is not perfect in this area. But the pendulum swing is shorter lived and the Lord is always uh, trying to get our ear to convict us of that. And that's what we want to see continue to trickle out to his whole congregation. So this person who would be the right candidate is the one who's able to avoid these kinds of scuff ups for a lot of different reasons. And the first one might be pretty obvious, but the best way to avoid a bar fight. Don't go to the bar. (laughs) Now, I'm I'm speaking in a metaphor here because I really, like I said, I don't think all of us just got out of the the saloon last night. But as we're we're applying that environment to the places that we find that are, are contentious for us or the places that draw us in for that kind of battle, a wise person figures out how do I stay out of those environments as much as possible at least in the environments that are ones that are pulling on you kind of like a trigger, the ones that are drawing you away because of the things that you're already interested in. Maybe those emotions are a little too near the surface and and you're playing with fire. And so a person of wisdom, like we've been seeing out of 1 Timothy 3, a person who has more of a balanced life says, I don't really need to be there. And, And almost regardless of what I'm missing out on, it's not as important as what could go wrong. And there's a wise evaluation that happens. So yeah, an easy thing to do is just avoid the scene altogether. And you won't be drawn in. You won't be the one in the headline the next morning in the newspaper because you weren't there. 
But that's not always possible. Sometimes we're brought into these situations. Sometimes the fight comes to us. And so a person of wisdom is also able to avoid making it worse by staying in control of their senses. 1 Timothy 3 was talking to us about sobriety, talking to us about self-control, not losing grip on your faculties, but making sure that you're aware all the time of your own propensities for danger, that you're aware of your own shortcomings to maybe be drawn into that fight instead to avoid that. But staying in control of your senses and saying there is nothing more important to me right now than staying on top of my game, making sure I don't lose control Uh, knowing who I could be if I do. There's another one I think that that comes from our list, and I think it comes right in line with wisdom. And I don't know if you've ever seen those fights where it seems like it always happens with like a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie or one of these like Chuck Norris uh, movies um, where he's trying to leave his past behind, right, because he was a real rough guy or he was an assassin, and he's made the determination, I am not laying a hand on anybody else. And what happens? Trouble always finds him, right? There's always some jerk who's going to put him to the test because it's in the script. And so he comes up to him and he's like, okay, I'm going to make you fight. And then the other guy is able to kind of do this or he just does this and throws the guy off balance or he goes to sit in a chair and he pulls it out. or so, I don't know. It's all that kind of stuff. But there's this, uh, there's this ability that happens with a person of wisdom who's able to avoid the fight and still get the better end of their enemy by dodging the punches. By not engaging, as soon as somebody comes up and says, you know, I want to take you down or something, you don't always have to do this right off the bat. So as we're thinking about our arguments or the things that we fight over or the situations that draw us in, we have to think about what are my opportunities to outsmart my adversary. It is possible, but so seldom do we slow down to look for those chances to duck the punch to throw our enemy off balance just a little bit, not even so much to embarrass him, but just mainly to avoid the fight. I think a person of wisdom that Timothy is looking for to build the church is also someone who evaluates the consequences of engagement ahead of time. Have you ever had that quick conversation in your own head about you know the thing you want to do and the thing you don't do? And the reason why you don't do it is for a reason you'd really not want to admit to anybody else? No. Okay. So you just don't want to admit it, or are you just making me feel like the weirdo in front of... But there are those moments, right? You know, traffic is our favorite example. We always talk about when we lose our cool in traffic and everything. But have you ever had that thought of like, okay, I'm going to slam this car in park, and I'm going to get out and confront this person because of X, Y, and Z? I have never had that thought before, you know. Uh, now that I've, I, I got a little taller and uh, stuff, I, I feel like, I, okay, now when's my turn to get in a fight now? I avoided it all my childhood, but it's probably still not a good idea. I wouldn't know what it feels like, so I'd probably go down with one of those. But I've thought about that and said, you know, how good would that look for one of the pastors of Faith EFC to be in the police log the next day? Because they don't give you an opportunity to explain your story in the police log. All they see is, you know, Brent Small arrested for what would it be like, disorderly conduct or public nuisance? I don't know what it would be. Some One of those things. Moron of the year. You know? And even if I was like, but it was in defense of, how does it look? You can't avoid 
standing up for somebody because of how it might look. But I'm talking about the things that really ticked me off. You know, the, the person that cut me off, the pe- people that almost dented my new car or something like that. That's, that's what I'm talking about. And sometimes slowing down and think about what are the bigger picture, picture consequences of engaging the way that my flesh just wants me to react to. How's that going to go down? A person of wisdom can just put the brakes on literally and just sit there and think, I can't chase this down the road. It's wanting me to go. It's not wise. It's not helpful to anybody. It's not helpful to me. That's why it's so difficult to counsel somebody in a situation where someone they love has been extremely violated because you, you understand the emotions of if I had a gun on me right now or if I had the ability to do or I will go to jail for the rest of my life to avenge what happened to the person I love. It's very difficult to talk those emotions down because we can all relate to it to some degree. And so the Holy Spirit has to show up and, and, and apply wisdom and think what are your options here? And are there others in your life that are depending on you? Are about you ready to wash that all away to feel good for a moment and doing what you think is justice? It's a very dicey area. But a person of wisdom is able to somehow, some way, evaluate those consequences of engagement before just diving in. And also, a person's able to avoid the bar fights. This is going to sound really weird, especially when I just said bar fights. But this is from our list in 1 Timothy 3, and I think it applies. By showing hospitality. Weird, right? Oh, you wanted this seat? Here you go. Take my seat at the bar. Oh, you wanted my date? Here you go. Yeah, she is beautiful. Yeah, why don't you? It's weird. I mean, that's not exactly what I'm talking about here. That you just yield everything, that you don't stand up for what's right. But obviously, if you go into a situation not thinking so territorial about everything, isn't that usually where we get ourselves in trouble? We have a severe list of personal rights and a personal comfort zone. It's amazing the things that people actually go to fists over in public. If you think about what was this all about, well, he looked at me funny. Are you looking at me? That's why I titled the sermon. You want to take this outside? Because it usually starts in some really silly place that all of a sudden it's become this thing of like, I will die on this hill. This is now the most important thing. Why? Because you're going to show me some respect. I'm going to get my respect from you if it's the last thing I do. And it usually is almost the last thing they do. It's amazing where we get into these things. Now, we're just skimming the surface on this. We're going to get into a passage of Scripture related to this in a couple of weeks, uh, Lord willing, that's going to talk about where the source of all of this tension, where the source of all these brawls are coming from. But for now, I want us to think about the fact, if you're just avoiding the bar fights and you're not the one slinging someone down and breaking all the glasses, then congratulations, half the battle is won. You're not acting out violently in a way that's going to throw you in the slammer. But to recognize that that person that could be just as capable as that fight lives inside of me. And there's probably some ownership I need to start thinking about is the reason why I'm starting to get into this tussle with either my spouse or my children or my parents or my coworkers or my boss or something like that. That that same person who would go and actually get in a fight that would put them in the police log the next day, probably is wrestling with the same issues deep down that I am too. I've just gotten a little craftier at keeping it uh, uh, not as violent 
as it has gone for other people. That's where we're going to leave that for this week. And then we're going to come back on this in a couple of weeks. So until then, would you please promise me that you're not going to show up in the police logs? We can at least do that. Then we'll be able to call it sermon application. I did what God asked me to do this week. Would you please stand? Let's close our time out this morning. Well, Lord God, we just thank you for uh, seeing us through in this time together. Uh, A strange passage to talk about and even perhaps a strange application for it, Lord. But we do take uh, your call to leadership seriously. And so, God, if this is a very important ingredient in the structure and the foundation of the church, but also in the structure and foundation of our homes and our workplaces, then, God, help us to stay humble and submissive to it. And, Lord, help us to apply this uh, very, very practically and locally in the places that we live and work even this coming week. Thank you for your word and the grace that you've poured out to us in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.